Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by John Schmelk, a longtime guest on this podcast. And we are previewing Quentin Grimes' upcoming NBA season. Anyone who listens to this pod knows how much I love Quentin, how excited I am about his present, and why I'm even more excited about his long-term future on the team. That next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You are locked on Knicks, and this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more right now. New customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. So visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started and i want to thank you for making locked on nicks your first listen today and every day because you're actually sticking to that and, and i I'm, I'm i'm keeping track and I, I know those of you who are and those of you who aren't i'm like the nsa out here um i don't know if that was an appropriate comment or not anyways um that would make you an everydayer, and we really appreciate that on Locked On Knicks. If you want to be an everydayer, all you have to do is subscribe on YouTube, hit that notifications bell so you never miss an episode, and be sure to do the same on your favorite audio podcast platform of choice. But if that's not quite enough for you and you want to get a little bit more of the Locked On Knicks experience, be sure to subscribe to our subtext. The link to do so is in the episode description. That means we get to text you about the Knicks, you get to text us about the Knicks, and, and anything else. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to some relationship questions. I have, I have some thoughts. Um, but I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And today I am joined by the fantastic John Schmelk, who does the pre and post game on the radio for the New York Giants for WFN. He also used to host the Bank Shot podcast for a long time and is just an elite talent, an elite commentator, and uh, genuinely uh, one of my favorite people to talk to on this podcast. So without further ado, let's get into it right now with John uh, Schmelk, right? You got it, Schmelk. Cool. All right, perfect. I'm always confident, but I'm like, what if I'm, what if I'm confident? I've been confidently wrong in people's names on multiple podcasts. So it's like, (laughs) as you can speak to the, the SCH throws people off. And then it's always the two E's for me that get people. Everyone wants, everyone wants me to be schmilk, which I understand. That's what it looks like. So no, I get it. I'd much rather have people ask and be right than just butcher. I'm always surprised people, people get mine right. It's never like it, it it wouldn't be, I think I would get my name wrong if I didn't know it, but. Whatever reason it clicks for people. All right, cool. All right, I will bring us in in three, two, one. All right, as promised, he is the fantastic host of the Giants pre and post game coverage on WFAN. And he also used to host a little podcast that was one of my favorites, and I, I miss it dearly the Bank Shot covering the New York Knicks. It is John Schmelk. John, thank you so much for joining us and, and, and taking some time to talk about, as, as we were just getting into pre show, a, a team that is suddenly not the bane of every New York sports fan's existence and, and maybe even their shining light of joy. Yeah, people are like, hey, at least the Knicks are starting, given how you know things have started for both football teams. So, yeah, I think it's exciting, and I think you got to feel good about you know where the Knicks are at. Uh, and wh- this is, and I've said this to other people before, and I, I hate to repeat myself just because I feel like it's kind of like a kiss of death. Hmm. But this is as confident I've felt about a Knicks season, just understanding what they were in gosh, probably like twenty years. Like you have to go back to like the end of the Allen Houston Sprewell regime after they traded Ewing even you know that year they lost to uh, Toronto in the first round of the playoffs and they Glenn Rice like you kind of you know what the team is you know they might not be championship caliber but you know what, what they're going to be and I feel utterly confident this team's going to win like somewhere between like 46 and 51 52 games somewhere in that area and 
barring some type of major injury to either Brunson or Randall, I think they could, by the way, I think they could survive an injury to any other player on the roster. Those two, I think they would struggle with. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, I just don't foresee them being out of that range based on how they played last year and the quality of the players and more importantly, the depth that they have on the roster, which is why they would be able to survive any injury besides to those two guys. I, I don't know about you. I still, I have almost a little bit of PTSD from two years ago. And especially when I saw, I, I think the Vegas over under was initially 44 and a half. And, and we've done multiple episodes this summer that have been like, all right, what are we missing? Like, like what are, what, what are they seeing? And, and it's hard to pinpoint, like there, there's some underlying statistics, like in terms of their efficiency that make you think, all right, maybe them having like the fifth best offensive rating, in the history of basketball last year was a little bit unsustainable. You're like, all right, is there, is there anyone else that could put the, no, they're all young. Like they all should be getting better. Like what, what what's going on? And, and I keep coming back to like super young, Tons of depth, lots of continuity, and it all screams a team that should be at least as good, if not better than they were last year. When you take into account, they they didn't really have their team set until 20 games into the season and then played like close to a 60-win team once Josh Hart got here. So despite all all, all my trauma, all of I'll include everyone, all of our trauma, I, I feel I feel pretty good going into the season. And Quentin Grimes, right? A, a big reason for that. Yeah, look, and and the head coach is consistent, right? I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know what Tom Thibodeau is gonna make this team do and and what and how they're gonna operate. So there's no reason I think that's not going to go well. And and to your point, I'll get to Grimes in a second. I was on um, with uh, Macri on Nick's film school a few weeks ago. And he said, John, what's like your biggest worry heading into the season? And I said to him, look, my biggest worry is still Julius Randle turning into a pumpkin. And he goes, really? I go, yeah. And I'm actually a Julius Randle defender and fan compared to most of the fan base that wants a, the team's only two-time All-NBA player since Patrick Ewing to be you know thrown out of town for some reason. Um, but we still don't quite know what happened two years ago with him and why that happened and why the meltdown came. And he looked like a terrible player after being an all NBA selection. And then all of a sudden, Oh, I'm back. I'm, I'm good again, guys. How you doing? Like we never figured out why that happened exactly. Yeah. So how am I supposed to be able to predict whether or not that's going to happen this year? I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen, but that, that would still be kind of one of my worries. I, I do like the short hair, Julius Randall though. I think that's like, I'm growing up. I'm yeah, it's all, all about business, right? <laughs> I have kids now, you know, yeah. I, I don't want to have hair all over the place. I, I, I feel that actually makes me feel better about his year for whatever reason. It's stupid, but it does. Um, yeah. Look, I love Quentin Grimes. And, you know, I was on that same podcast with Mac and he asked me what I'm most excited about. And I said watching Quentin Grimes this year because I think, you know, he's the guy. He was an older rookie, right? He was in college, I believe, for five years, if I'm not mistaken, when he transferred um, from Kansas down there to Houston. And I think he has a lot more to give than what the Knicks have asked him to give. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if they're going to ask him to give more this year because of all the usage to Brunson, all the usage to Randall, all the usage to Barrett. I don't think any of that's changing. So barring an injury, again, I'm not sure you're going to see any of the stuff we're going to talk about here. But look, I think he's one of the better drive and dish guys they have. I think he's by far the best, uh, has the quickest release of anyone on this roster on, on kickouts. I think he can pump and go. And the stuff that he worked on in the offseason is exactly the stuff he should have worked on. I think you can start using him as a movement shooter off of screens, right? The same way, you know, the Celtics used to, I mean, uh, the Pistons rather used to use Rip Hamilton, um, you know, J.J. Reddick's the easy one. He trained with them over the summer. The, the way the Knicks but, you know, used Evan Fournier two years ago, right? Yeah, 100%. Run him off some screens, let him catch and go, let him run some pick and roll. I think he's a pretty good playmaker. He did that in college when he was at Kansas. So, I think he has a lot more to give. We know what a, um, what a tough kid he is, what a good defensive player he is. We know what a good shooter he is. And I think if he can supplement that game, he can become a 3 and D 
plus with the with a pretty big plus there. And he could develop into the third most important player on this roster, I think, very easily if um, he's given the opportunity to lean into some of those skills over the next couple of years. Yeah, and this is this is something we can talk about more later in the show. But just looking at the roster, I feel like if you asked me who am I most confident is going to be on this team in five years, but but even more so, who's who am I most confident who's going to be on this team in 10 years? Jalen Brunson would be the first answer. I think Quentin Grimes would be the second answer. And there's always the possibility that in whatever theoretical star trade happens down the road, like he's the one of the either the first or second name that teams ask for, and, and, and you have to part with him and it, and it sucks, but you just need to do it. But if you're building out a roster full of stars, like he is the perfect guy to have. I saw someone tweet today that it was like, oh, he's the most perfect two guard for this team outside of prime Clay Thompson. I was like, all right, that's a little hyperbolic. And I'm like, all right, you, you'd obviously, <laughs> you'd want, you want you want some stars in there. But if you're looking at like sub all-star type guys, like in terms of 23-year-olds, like, yeah, maybe Desmond Bain is the more Des- developed. You know, that was but, exactly the name I was yeah. going to give you, Desmond Bain. Yep. But that's the mold that he's in. And Desmond Bain is 25 and Quentin Grimes is 23. Like if Quentin Grimes, like not even this season, next season is is maybe approaching what Desmond Bain does. And there, there's a long road, both in terms of opportunity and his skill development for him to get there. But that's that's maybe the ceiling there. And that is everything you could want next to a Jalen Brunson. I think Grimes defensively is already at another level than someone like Baines. But before we go forward, let, let's let's look back a little bit. How did you feel overall about his second season only? Because I know in mine there was a little bit of, and I think you were hinting at this, frustration at his opportunity early on. And then post-All-Star break, I really, this is weird to say, but I think that incredible, uh, whatever it's called now, Rising Stars rookie sophomore game performance he had, buoyed his confidence a little bit. And he came out scalding the second half of the year, 25, or sorry, 14 points per game in, in, in around 25 games post-All-Star break. Shot, I think, 45% from three, taking something like eight threes per 36 minutes. He was amazing. And then that all kind of fell off in the playoffs. But the Knicks were still dramatically better when he was on the floor in the playoffs, despite the fact that he shot 30% from the field and 24% from three. So what, what, what do you kind of make of all that? All right, guys, next on Locked On Knicks, I want to get into how the Knicks can best use Quentin Grimes this season, continue talking about that, and, and the trade-off between his usage and R.J. Barrett's usage. But before um, we do that, I want to tell you about our good friends over at FanDuel snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook right now. New customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets whether you win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. In honor of our guest this week, John Schmelk, um, I am looking at the Giants-Bills lines. The Bills are favored by 14 points, um, so the Giants lose by less than 14. Or, wow, imagine that. Win the game, you can make some serious dough. I think they'll do it, potentially getting Saquon Barkley back. I, I think this is just going to be a pride game for the New York Giants, not to get embarrassed on national TV again. Do they have the horses to do it? We will find out. And if you're enthused by that, or, or if you like the Bills really killing them, all you have to do is visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season because FanDuel's the official partner of the NFL. I mean, just remember the play he had against Jimmy Butler, right? Where he yes. banged knees, he hurts himself, basically is hobbling around and takes the ball away uh, on that defensive possession. I mean, that's the type of, you know, Tom Thibodeau probably woke up smiling thinking about that play 30 times over the summer. All right. <laughs> I mean, that is, could it, could you pick out any one play that would get Tom Thibodeau more excited than that? I don't <laughs> think so. So, <clears throat> and it should get fans excited too, by the way, to show, you know, the the type of complimentary player that he can be and uh you know 
I think it was a shame he got that injury, you know, heading into the year. I do think that set him back a little bit because he couldn't be inserted into the lineup right away. I think, you know, coming off that summer league performance two summers ago where, you know, you always want to see your guys at summer league look like they're just better than everybody else. And he looked like he was better than everyone else in that summer league, right? So, and I think if he was healthy and didn't injure himself, what was it, a foot injury, right? Is that what he had? Was it a foot? I believe Something so, yeah. And I'm kind of yeah. scared. No one really knew what it was. Exactly. And, and with the Knicks, with their, with their, you know, day-to-day bruises that end up being like, you know, you know, fractures and they're out for half a season. You yeah. never know. But, <clears throat> you know, I just think he was wonderful. And I think he would have been in the starting lineup to start the year if he was healthy in camp. It took him a while to get there. And if you look at when the season turned around is when his role really started to increase and they eventually bring in Josh Hart, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's just a great connecting piece, right? He's well, The biggest issue with the Knicks is with Randall, Mitch, and RJ on the floor together. They can't spread the floor. Right, he's a perfect floor spreader. With Brunson, they lack some perimeter defense. So Brunson's never going to be a good defender. It is what it is. They need a guy that they can put on the other team's best guard. Well, Quentin Grimes checks that box too, right? And he's a guy that doesn't need the ball in his hand to be successful. So I think you put all that together. He had a good year. I think you saw a lot of progress. You saw how valuable he can be to the team. But you know, that was his first real taste of you know I'm an important player on a playoff team. You know, it's not like he got a ton of shots in those playoff games either. It's not like he got in any sort of real rhythm. So, but I mean, he was the one guy, Tom Biddle said, look, I'm this is a must-win game. You're playing 48 minutes, dude. Like, what does that tell you? That he was one of the few guys that he said, it was him and Brunson, right, in that game that both played 48? Yeah, game five. That yep. This is a must-win game. You're so important to us. I can't take you off the floor. You know, he didn't say that about RJ. He didn't say that about Randall. He didn't say that about whoever the center, you know, Mitch. He said that about Grimes. Now, maybe those other guys can't handle that type of minute load, whatever, or, you know. Point is, that's how valuable the coach thought Grimes was, even though the shot wasn't necessarily falling in the playoffs, which, again, was a small sample size. You know, everybody likes to make such – well, you know, those nine playoff games, much more important than the 82 games before. Yeah, they might be more important, but they're not necessarily more predictive, right? Yeah. And I think that's an important differentiation you have to make. I think it was very similar to what happened with Emmanuel quickly, where it was a young guy getting, I mean, it quickly was technically a second taste of the playoffs, essentially his first taste of the playoffs. And he, he never, like, I think you nailed it. He never really got much of a chance to get into a rhythm. And, and every, every time he touched the ball, it was either keep it moving. Or if you have a lick of space, like throw it up and you better make it because you're not getting a lot of these. And that it, 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 it tends to break a lot of guys in their first postseason. But again, I referenced it. Like you can, like I, I pulled up the numbers, like in the playoffs, Grimes and Brunson, 117 offensive rating, points points per 100 possessions and, and allowed 108.6 points defensively um hart grimes and brunson were plus five rj grimes and brunson were plus eight when you wow. took grimes out and you played hart and rj and brunson together it wow. sucked and that was my it was they were minus 13 per 100 possessions they scored 110.6 they gave up 123.9 so he was despite again shooting numbers that I think you could you could simulate a hundred postseasons for Quentin Grimes. I'm not sure if he would have ever have worse shooting than he did in this one. Um, he he was still just a major major positive, and to me that more than anything else sums up his importance to this team. His first playoffs nominally played terribly at the thing that he's most asked to do on the offensive end, and, and he he still made the team um, about as much better as as you would expect, like an MVP level guy, because that's how important he is to their infrastructure. To your point. Um, what are, and, and, and you kind of hinted at this in terms of the work he put in with JJ Redick. And I thought we saw 
some good glimpses of that in the Knicks first preseason game where he had um, this like, I mean, it was just, it was just one of the threes he made in the game, but he caught the ball off of a great like swing, swing sequence. Defender was closing out, just, just took a sidestep, totally ditched the defender, drained a three. And I think it's, I think it's going to be less as much as I think we both have aspirations for him to be more of an on-ball guy and take advantage of the fact that he, um, I think, what was it? The staff from Fred Katz, like 30 games, he was leading the NBA in blow by rate. Like he's very, very good at beating closeouts. Yeah. And then he's very good at the rim shot 70% of the rim, which was above the 80th percentile for shooting guards. Despite those abilities, I think it's going to come in smaller ways this year. And just his ability to, whether it's off the ball or on the ball, find more threes is kind of what I'm looking at. What are the next steps you're hoping to see from him this season? Yeah, and I think the co- based on what we've seen from reports, I think the coaching staff's telling him to find more threes and to find more yeah. shots. I think they want him to. Um, I agree. And again, I th- I brought this up earlier. I think the thing that gets you know most underplayed about him is that quick release, Gavin. Like, you know, Manuel quickly has that low release that takes him a little while to get going sometimes. And it's hard for him then to shoot off the dribble over people or get quick shots up over taller guys because he has that low release. For a guy like Grimes, he rises, fires, and gets rid of that ball quick. So I think it gives him a little bit more of an ability to get off those shots in tight areas with guys closing, doing that sidestep, getting the shot off. Even if you're, you know, you're you're running screen and roll to pull up from mid-range, things of that nature. You know, I think he needs to do a better job reading sometimes on those drives and dishes. I think sometimes he predetermines what he's going to do on those where he drives and he's all right, I'm out, I'm handing off here. And sometimes you'll see the defense anticipate that right and drop off and steal the pass. He needs to do a better job of just going up and let the defense dictate to him. All right, do I go up and finish this lap or then do I drop it off to Mitch or Randall, whoever's going to be around the basket. Right? So I think those are a couple of the things that maybe he can do a little bit more of. You know, unlike Quickly, who I think did pass up some, some threes at times last year, which annoyed the, the hell out of me, I don't think Grimes really passed that many up, to be honest with you. So um, I think he should continue doing what he's doing there. You know, I'm pretty happy with him. And I, one of the reasons, and Nick fans got really mad at me when I was on with um, uh, Nick's Fan TV, I said, look, this is before Drew Holiday got traded to, to the Celtics. And frankly, my trade offer was nowhere near what they got from Boston. So it wouldn't have worked anyway. But Nick fans still got mad at me. It's one of the reasons that I'm more willing to trade R.J. Barrett than most people. Because I think if you spread that usage around to the other guys on this roster, namely Grimes and Quickly, I don't think you're losing anything efficiency-wise. I just don't. So that's why I, I don't feel so hesitant to trade RJ again, not that he's not a good player, not that he doesn't help the team, not that he still can't get better, check all those boxes. But I do think there are other, and again, you don't trade him for the sake of trading. You trade him only if you can make an upgrade and make the team better elsewhere. But I feel like you have a guy like Grimes there and then throw quickly into the mix too, that can pick up a lot of that usage and you're not going to lose a ton. And you might even gain a little bit of floor spacing if those minutes go to guys that can more consistently hit the open shot. And you can even throw Dante DiVincenzo in that conversation too, if you want. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've spent a lot of this summer talking about how I would in, in my perfect world where there, where there's no, where no one remembers where anyone was picked, where no one remembers what anyone makes money was, I would probably start Emmanuel quickly and Quentin Grimes. And I, I think that would probably be the Knicks best lineup and they would be a little bit small and, and you, you would lose something in terms of RJ's aggressiveness. And that, I mean, if there's one thing that, Quinton is missing that he could learn from RJ. It's kind of that blind confidence yeah. and, and, and that sure. aggressiveness. And I think that sometimes is an underrated skill in the NBA. And it's, it's kind of, and, and this is something like I, I probably personally like just need to spend more time around the league and more time around these guys to, to know, but it, it's hard sometimes to gauge is, is that in 
inherent ability, like just the willingness and and kind of like the alpha dog quality to get up a lot of shots? Or is that something that is just as simple as being empowered by a coaching staff? Because I think RJ just that that pedigree has carried him through, like whether like it was him being the number one recruiter, being the number three pick out of Duke. Like he's not afraid, like against the Miami Heat, if he's six for 19, he's like, all right, well, shot number 20 is going in. And I don't know if Quinton quite has that, despite at least on the high school level, having some of that pedigree at the NBA level. But to your point, like he consistently passed up shots at the rim. And on paper, he's more qual- like obviously part of RJ's relative lack of, efi- lack of efficiency is the volume that he has at the rim. But Quinton's a way better finisher at the rim. And in some ways, and this is shocking to say, given where they were mo- both drafted, I think he's the better athlete at the rim than RJ Barrett. Like you see him like collide with guys in midair and like he just has this incredible core where he doesn't really move and he can just do a double pump and lay it in. And he's, he's very right-hand dominant. So you hope that's something he's worked on over the off season. But I remember like watching that heat series and like, they were just parking Duncan Robinson on him. And like when the Knicks were struggling for offense and finishing in the playoffs is either the least or second least efficient offense. So I was like, let's get some possessions where Quentin Grimes is driving at Duncan Robinson. But that's just a very hard thing to ask a second year player to do when they've never done that in their NBA career. And I'm wondering if there'll be room to get him some of those reps this year. So if you're in the playoffs and if a team plugs their weakest defender on him, you could say, all right, Quentin, go to work, cook this guy and force him off the floor. And I'm just, my, my biggest question despite reports out of camp that to your point, they want to get him more looks and more shots. I think that they'll be, that'll be kind of marginal and will be mostly off ball work. Like I just don't see the Knicks prioritizing on ball possessions because to your point, they threw another guy in the mix for Dante DiVincenzo. If anything, he's going to be playing less minutes this year. So I have my fears that they're going to be able to maximize what might be like a pretty good on the ball player. Yeah. I, I think I agree with everything you said. And I do think some of that's innate, right? I think, yeah. and that is probably one of RJ's greatest strengths you know, heading into the playoffs last year and people thought I was being negative. I'm like, you know, RJ don't care. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't care about, you know, what time of game it is. He doesn't care about who's covering him. He doesn't care about the opponent. He doesn't care if it's preseason or playoffs or regular season or all-star game. That dude, if he is the ball, he thinks he's scoring. He thinks the ball's going in. He's got some John Starks in him now for the people that are older like me that remember Starks back in the day where didn't matter how many shots he missed before, he always thought the next one was going in. And that's a good thing when RJ can hit some of those big shots at the end of games, which he has done for this Knicks team before, but it's bad when, you know, he just keeps missing and missing and missing and driving the ball into crowds and forcing and all that stuff. So I agree. I think that's innate. You hope that Quentin Grimes does have some of that in him because to your point, he was one of the top high school recruits in his class. You know, he was at Kansas. He was the alpha there, but it didn't work there. So I do wonder maybe if that maybe sapped some of that internal confidence, maybe he has to earn some of that back. It's a good question. But I think he has it in him. To your point, I do think he has a little bit more quickness and burst off the dribble than RJ. RJ obviously has a little bit more size, I think, broadness and strength to when he gets there to kind of create some space and 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 do things of that nature, which which I do think RJ can do. Even though I think the the difficulty, the shots are often still high because he just doesn't have that kind of explosiveness in and around the rim. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't think Grimes is going to get the usage I would like him to get because RJ is going to get his, Randall's going to get his, Brunson's going to get his. And again, barring an injury, I'm knocking on wood here. Um, I think we'll just see Grimes get spot opportunities. Maybe the way Thibodeau should rotate the minutes a little bit is to make sure Grimes is on the floor with that second unit a little bit more. So maybe he has a bit more of a chance to do some more creation here or there. You know, Thibodeau's usually not one for all that much staggering, but we'll have to see how they handle it. 
Yeah, I mean, I I kind of proposed that before the first preseason game, and, and then we got some minutes. Granted, it was it was kind of hard to tell, like just how effective the lineup would be because it was with Jericho Sims and Mitchell Robinson on the floor. We got Emmanuel quickly, Dante DiVincenzo, and Quinn Grimes, and I think a version of that with Josh Hart. I mean, just the collective like basketball IQ, switchability, like ball handling, um, just transition. Will- yeah, yeah, willingness to run. Like that just screams a fun lineup for me. And it's this weird balance where I think Grimes amplifies everything that's great about that lineup, where RJ maybe more so needs to play with that lineup and the starters in turn more so need Grimes. So I don't know if you're, t- if you're Tom Thibodeau, how do you strike that balance? And it'll probably be to your point, like sticking pretty rigidly with what we saw most of last year. But man, I, I think that lineup has a lot of potential to um, open up Grimes's game and, and just his, like, like we talk about, like, trying to get him reps going one-on-one, like in that Celtics game, like he, he got, um, I, I'm going to butcher this guy's pronunciation for the second straight podcast, but uh, Nemus Keda at, at a Utah state, like on a switch and like Grimes couldn't get by him. And for a second, I was, I was like, Oh God, that's not good. Like he should be able to do it. And then I was like, Oh yeah. Jericho Sims and Mitchell Robinson are both five feet away from the basket. Like he can't, he's nowhere to go. Like he couldn't, he couldn't get by him, but, but playing with hard and like playing with that spread floor. Like I think that could potentially do wonders for him. Um, I guess looking forward a little bit more, with sure. Quentin Grimes, like I'm, I'm so fascinated to see what his future is on the Knicks. And we, we talk about this with Emmanuel quickly. And I think it's a little bit more like I get a pit in my stomach when I talk about it with quickly, because I think I know how the story ends. And, and in my mind, at least, like, I think it ultimately ends with him on another team because I think he, he's, he's almost too good for his role. I think he's eventually going to have very fair aspirations of being a starting point guard and getting paid like a starting point guard, if not on this contract, then on the next contract. And I guess with Quinton, like, I wonder if the same things are there because like, to your point, like after he went to Houston, like he really embraced doing role player stuff on the Knicks. He really embraces doing role player stuff. And it's not to say that IQ doesn't, but IQ's game lends itself to being more so on the ball and his size necessitates to get the most out of him. I think like you need him to be on the ball to some extent. And that's not really true with Quinton, even, even if he has that upside, like he can be like, he could either be a star to Desmond Bain like role or he could just flat out be like one of the best role players in the league, more like a Danny Green type of guy. And, and it's impossible to answer like how he sees himself in his mind. But I wonder if down the road, like as long as he's getting paid, like as someone worthy of his talents, like is he okay for like 14 years on these Knicks teams, like being the fifth or sixth option and, and playing lockdown defense every night for years and years and years. And it's impossible to answer this, but like how much potential does he have for more? And like, can he put all these things we're talking about together and, and kind of hit another level and, and, and maybe be an even more important piece than we're initially envisioning because there have just been moments like, what was it? His third game of his career where he scored like 33 points around Christmas. Like we've seen, we've seen moments where you're like, all right, this guy's just shooting 11 threes per game. Like he's, he's going to score yeah. over 20 points per game. Well, I think the trick is it, when that star trade eventually happens, if Barron and quickly are both going out, then is Grimes the fourth option, right? Yeah. Is Grimes the third option of somehow Randall's involved in one of the, if it's like Randall and, RJ going out, you know, who knows how that's going to go when it happens. But I think when you do that consolidation trade and if Grimes isn't a part of it and he's the one guy I would try to keep out of that consolidation trade whenever it happens, you know, I think he moves up the old pecking order. And I think maybe that could keep him happy. Yeah, I I think it's a great point. And I, I just think there's a world where like he doesn't even have to change his game all that much. Like it really like, like we've seen Clay Thompson carve out a career where he's going to be a hall of famer. And obviously it's not really fair to comp him to the second best shooter in the history of basketball. But I kind of think Grimes could shoot 42% from three getting up 
10 of them a game. And, and if he does that, the numbers are going to be really, really good. I think there's going to be a point as the Knicks continue to grow as a team. And if there's a world where they get that star trade and they're playing in conference finals years after years, like I think he's going to be talked about, maybe not quite like a drew holiday, but just a notch below that. Maybe like a Marcus smart, like is one of the better defenders in all of basketball, the guard position. And like, he's going to get his due. Um, and, and I think the beauty of it is like, he doesn't have to change his game that much. And to your point, like the Knicks, like, don't even necessarily need to emphasize him that much. Like it would be nice if he developed more on the ball, but it doesn't feel like it's essential for him to get be on this team for a long guy, get a lot of recognition, make a lot of money and help this team win a lot of games. Yeah. I'm Gavin. I'll be short. I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> All right, guys, that is it for this episode with John Schmelk. But fear not um, either later today or maybe tomorrow morning. I'm still deciding. Uh, we are going to put out a bonus episode with John talking about the odds of the New York Knicks making a championship trade. It, it was kind of just supposed to be like a little bit of like a small way to wind down this episode. It ended up turning into a, a full conversation as things often do when I have John on this podcast. It's a lot of fun and it, it kind of spells out the path for the Knicks going forward and, and what kind of position they're in to cash their chips in and potentially can be for a championship. So that will be next time on Locked on Knicks. But until then, I'm Gavin Shaw. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks. 